Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding The passage is Colossians chapter one, verses fifteen through twenty. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The reading of God's word. Let's pray together and ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Oh, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you specifically for this passage. We thank you, Lord, that we read in Isaiah 55 that your word does always accomplish your purposes. It does not return void to you. And Lord, we pray that this morning. We pray that your spirit would work by and with the preaching of your word, that we might be changed. We pray that we would know the Lord Jesus more this morning because of this preached word. We need you to change us. We need you to work. We ask that you do that by your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if we were to, to poll American Christians, broad spectrum, and ask them this question, How does a person change? Or how does a Christian grow in the Christian life? How do I become more like Christ? What do you think they would say? You may even be thinking now how you would answer that question. I I think they might say something along these lines. That most would say something to the effect of personal devotions. Or quiet times. That the primary way that I grow in the Christian life is my personal time spent in the Word. Prayer and devotion alone. It's when I spend time alone that God really changes me. And one place I think that we could see evidence that that would be the answer to the question is if you just take one trip to your local Christian bookstore and look at how many different devotionals there are. There are devotionals for every type of person in every stage of life with every type of interest. 
Don Miller uh, gets at this in his book, Searching for God Knows What. He's describing the scene where he's at a seminar for Christian book writers. He says this. The lady sitting next to me was writing a wonderful series of Christian devotionals for girls who were taking ballet classes. And the lady on the other side of me was writing a series of devotionals you could read while drinking tea. When she told me this, a lady in front of us turned around and smiled because she was working on a series of devotionals you could read while drinking coffee. I told them their book sounded terrific because it is true that some people like tea and some people like coffee. And for that matter, some people dance in ballets. Now, you may have experienced something similar to this, and I'm not pointing this out to make fun of those who appreciate those types of devotional books. That's fine if they assist you in knowing Christ more. That's wonderful. My point is to say, though, that personal, individual devotional times, your quiet times, cannot be the primary means of growth in the Christian life. The reason for that is that that's not the way Christ intended it to be. What I want us to see this morning is that growth in the Christian life comes not through a formula or a seven-step program, but through a person. That person, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. We need Christ just as much today for our growth as we needed Him when we initially put our faith in Him. All that to say is that you never move beyond the Gospel. You never mature beyond Christ. There's never a point where you can say, well, I believe the gospel, I trusted Christ, and now I can get on to the more mature Christian things. I can get on to some meatier doctrine. That's not the way it works. As if we could live a God-honoring life apart from Christ giving us the grace to do so. We're utterly dependent on Him for any type of growth in the Christian life. We never, ever move beyond Christ in that way. He's the only source for true change. And you may have some some temporary change that takes place with some kind of some kind of formula, some kind of, of real discipline. But it's just going to be temporary. The only place for lasting change is found in Christ. There is no other. Now, I'm sure that the authors of those devotionals would probably agree with me in that. They're not going to deny that in the least. But the question becomes, how does Christ give himself to his people? How does he give us growth? By what means does he do that? How does he nourish us? How does he give himself to us? The answer, through the church. It's through his body that he nourishes us. Christ is our one true source of growth. And he gives himself to his people and nourishes us primarily through the ministry of the church, which is his body. Well, this section of this Christ hymn in Colossians that we're dealing with this morning is just one sentence. And he is the head of the body, the church. And of course, there's a lot we could say about this verse. Now, I want to look at it under three headings this morning to focus our our discussion. One, our struggle with the church. Two, the glory of the church. And three, our need of the church. But before we talk too much more about what Paul has to say about the church, I really do want to spend a few minutes just looking at some of the struggles or the difficulties of the church, because there are a few and we need to take them seriously. A couple objections we'll deal with this morning. The first, I've been burned by the church. 
A lot of people have had terrible experiences with the church, and we, we shouldn't deny that at all. They've been burned by the church in one way or another. And you may even be visiting this morning, and that's how you would describe yourself. You would describe your past as having a really bad experience with the church. Maybe you're just here because someone's invited you and you're here reluctantly. Someone maybe has wronged you, another member, maybe someone in leadership. You've been wronged in some way in the church. Or maybe it's just that you've tried your hardest to get along with people, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. It's not worth the effort. Some people are just too difficult to deal with. Well, Peter Lightheart likens this messiness of the church to Noah's Ark. He says, if it weren't for the rain outside, you couldn't stand the stench inside. I'll just say, uh, say quickly in response to that, that, that in some ways, this is really what we've got to expect in the church. The church is not a community of perfect people who have their lives together. It's not a group of people that have perfect marriages. It's not a group of people that know how to raise their children perfectly and have children that behave so well. It's not a group of people that are perfectly happy all the time. That's not what the church is. We are, we are a redeemed community that still struggles with sin. And we should expect it to be like that. You may have heard the church likened to a hospital before. I think that's a helpful way to think about it. We're all sick. We all have a problem. And we're all in need of healing. But as we'll see in this passage this morning, this is the right place to be for that healing. This is the place to bring those sorts of struggles. So... Just here as a, at the beginning here, we need to have real, realistic expectations of what the church really is. Secondly, the church is irrelevant or at least not worth my time. This is probably a lot more common than the first. I get much more out of my individual quiet times or my small group Bible study or my campus ministry than I do from the church. That's probably very common. That my real source of growth comes not from the church, but from these other places. I may attend worship occasionally, but it's not really a priority. And that was really my experience. After becoming a Christian through a parachurch organization, my view of the church wasn't that it was bad. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it at all. I didn't have a problem with the church. I'd go. But it was not my primary means of growth. I wasn't thinking that's where I go to be fed. That's where I go to grow as a Christian. Thankfully, RUF radically changed my understanding of the church. And really what it was is that you just have to look at the Bible to see how the Bible describes the church. And one of the things that struck me was the way that the Bible describes the relationship between Christ and the church. That's really what did it. And I want to turn there now to look at this relationship between Christ and the church. This is where we'll see the glory of the church. It comes completely and entirely from Christ, who is its head. So first, if we look back to our passage here, it's described as head and body. Paul says, and he is the head of the body, the church. And this metaphor already gives us a beautiful and really complex picture of just what this relationship is. I want to first look briefly at this imagery of body. The church is described in these terms pretty often uh, in the scriptures. If you look to 1 Corinthians 12, you see this imagery where Paul is talking about the unity of the body. 
He's talking about the significance of every part of the body. People have different gifts. They all contribute to the whole and they're all necessary. We're united as a whole body. We're part of that larger body and we need each other in that regard. Then the the origin of this, though, of Paul's use of this term body actually comes from his conversion experience on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, chapter 4. Listen to how this is described. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, if you remember the story of the Apostle Paul before he was converted, his name was still Saul at that point. He was one of the foremost persecutors of the church. He was killing Christians all over the place. That was what he sought to do. He was a Pharisee who wanted to shut down the church. So he was really out persecuting the church. I mean, that's that's the way we would describe it. He was going after individual Christians and putting them to death. But here on the road to Damascus, though, Jesus asks him the question, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Jesus so identifies with his people, with his body, that he says to persecute his followers, to persecute Christians is to persecute Jesus. That's how close he is to his people. What you do to them, you do to me. What happens to them happens to me. So already, if we go back to our passage in Colossians, we have this intimate idea of what the body really is. Even in just this one sentence, just Paul using that term body, no doubt that's in the back of his mind. That his understanding of the church as the body of Christ was strongly influenced by this conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Now let's turn to what it means for Christ to be the head of this body. That's really his point here. First off, it probably means most naturally that he rules and directs it. Just kind of take it at face value. That's what you would think. All authority belongs to him. He controls and he gives direction. That's not just to say that he's the leader of the church like a CEO is of a company or like a principal is of a school, although it certainly includes that. But Christ's headship in this regard means much, much more than that. And the difference is, is that Christ is utterly sovereign over his body. You may be thankful that your CEO is not utterly sovereign over everything that happens in the company. Christ is in complete control. He sets the course for his church. But not only does he do that, he then directs the church. He controls the church. He works the church to accomplish his purposes. He's directing his body to meet those goals that he's that he's striving for. And it's not by accident either that in in this Christ hymn, in this passage, that Paul has just said, In him, all things hold together. So Christ as head is upholding. He's sustaining his church. Nothing happens to his church that he's not fully aware of. that He's not completely in control of. I'll just mention one quick implication of this here. Because Christ rules and directs the church, the church will be around until he returns. Now, this is one of those truths that changed my view of the church. This was revolutionary to me. Christ promises that he will be with his church until the end of the age. He says that in Matthew 28. 
The church isn't going anywhere. The church will always be around. Christ is sustaining her and he's promised to continue to uphold her. And the only way that she's going to cease to exist is that when Christ returns, there's not going to be a need for a unique dwelling place of God. It says in Revelation 21 and talking about the new heavens and the new earth, that the glory of Christ is everywhere. There's no longer a need for this unique body because everybody will be the people of God there. Samuel Stone, in his hymn, The Church is One Foundation, and we actually sang this last week, he puts this beautifully. He says, The church shall never perish, her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish, is with her to the end. Talk about being a part of something that's lasting. That's what was so appealing to me. This is what changed my view. Organizations come and go. Presidential administrations come and go. And over the course of history, even countries come and go. The church is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Christ is in control. Christ is her head and he is upholding and controlling and directing her. That's a a serious truth for us to lay hold of this morning. That what we do here is something that is lasting. This is not something temporary. This is something lasting. Well, that truth that Paul speaks of here, that Christ is the head of the body, not only means that he's going to rule and direct his people in that way, that he's in control of his church, but it also means, secondly, that he's the source of life for his body. And really, that that sounds a little odd if we start thinking about what a source of life mean. Well, to say that he's the source of life is to say that he's our source of change. His life changes us as we share in that life with him. We see right there, we are completely dependent upon him for change. It doesn't come from anywhere else, but from the life of Christ. Take a look back at our text. You'll see that right after Paul makes this one sentence statement about the church, he says he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So he says... He says this word of the firstborn from the dead. And of course, he's referring there to Christ's resurrection. What does that mean for us? Well, this life that is our source, the source of our life as a church, is Christ's risen life. It's his resurrected life. We're going to talk much more about that next week and the following week. But that's crucial that we understand that, that it's his risen life, the very life with which he conquered death. That's the life that is the source of of our life in the church now. And this is really another one of those truths that we've got to lay hold of here. This is the kind of thing that can change our view of what the church is and what it is that we do here as a body. Christ is the risen and living head of the body. So this isn't a cold, sterile relationship where we have some king in a far-off, distant country who just wants his will to be done. He just rules and directs from afar, Nobody really knows what's going on. His will be done. And it's this cold relationship. This relationship that's described here is intimate. It's this organic connection here, this life-giving connection between Christ and the church. Something very, very intimate. And that's really, that's another thing that will come to mind if you think of this, this metaphor here, this image of Christ as the head of the body. That's an intimate connection right there. Something very important. And if you just turn over one page in your Bibles 
to uh, Colossians 2, verse 19. We're going to look at this here. It fills it out a little more. He's just said in verse 18 here, he's talking about the foolishness of this false teaching that the Colossian church is facing. Then he says in 19, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. This is the way Christ gives life to his people. Paul's saying right here that the body has to cling to the head for life. That was one of the problems in the Colossian church. They weren't clinging to Christ in this way. The church is completely dependent on Christ for its life. And so we're called to cling in that way. This is where the church gets her life. It's from Jesus. The life of the risen Christ is our life. And it's through the ministry of his body, the church, that he gives us life. It's through that ministry. And really, this makes sense of the whole hymn. I know that initially, and even when I first read this passage, it, it kind of seems like this is randomly thrown in there. It's like this one sentence that Paul just kind of dropped into the middle of this hymn. It's kind of like, where, where did the church come from in this whole situation? He says in, in 15 through 17, as we talked about last week, Christ in creation. That's pretty obvious what he's talking about there. Christ is in control of all creation. And then even at the end... You can see he's talking about reconciliation of all things, what Christ's death on the cross and what his resurrection has accomplished. But then there's this sentence there in the middle about the church. Well, here's here's what this is about, I think. The changes and the new life that Christ's death and resurrection have accomplished that he talks about later on there shine forth, first of all, in the church. They show in the church before they show anywhere else. Christ pours out that the benefits of his salvation to his church. So that reconciliation, that making all things right, that what, what Christ is doing, it actually begins with his work in the church, in his body. So we are this redeemed community where we shine forth. We show forth what it is that Christ is wanting his kingdom to look like. That's a huge responsibility when you think about it. But it's a glorious responsibility nonetheless. And really, in this, in this regard, too, he, he addresses the false teachers that the original audience is dealing with. Remember, they were seeking some kind of access to God. That was most likely the heresy here. Some spiritual experience through strict bodily discipline. It included angel worship, some kind of dietary laws. And then even the self-inflicted torture. Remember, we talked about Silas from the Da Vinci Code, where he flogs himself in punishment for his sins. They were looking for some kind of spiritual experience here. What Paul says, though, in response is that, no, that's not how you're going to get at God. The fullness of God dwells in Christ, he says in verse 19. And listen to this, though. The fullness of Christ dwells in the church. He says in Ephesians 1. So it's not getting at God through these spiritual experiences. You get at God through the ministry of the church. That's a really strong claim. That Christ nourishes us and he changes us through the ministry of the church. He's the head of the church and as head, he is our very source of life. We can't go anywhere else to find that same lasting change. It's found in Christ alone. 
Well, practically, how does he feed us? How does he nourish us? How does he give himself to us in the church? I don't want to leave this as something kind of lofty and impractical, just to say that he feeds us through the ministry of the church. I want to give just one example here of how this actually plays out, how we are nourished in the church through his body. The most significant way, I would, I would say to you, is actually through worship. It's through corporate worship. It's through what we're doing right here this morning. God calls us to worship Him. And as we do, He promises to change us. And those aren't empty promises that He's making. Christ promises to give Himself to us in worship. He actually communicates His life to us in the midst of worship. Now, there are all kinds of important things we could say about what we do here. Uh, I just want to focus on two. Maybe the most fundamental ways that he promises to nourish our faith and to give us growth. The first is the preaching of the word. Listen to how the word of God is described by the author of Hebrews. Chapter four, he says this. For the word of God is living and active Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Again, really strong words about the Word of God there. He says it's living and active. How is it living and active? It's living and active because the Holy Spirit works in a unique way when the Word is being preached. The Spirit changes us and ministers to us through the preaching of the Word. That's actually what happens here on Sunday mornings. That we behold Christ in the Word, we're, we're faced with Christ, but then we're actually given Christ by the Spirit through the preaching of the Word. So our hearts are actually changed by the preaching of the Word. Something so important that we do. That's why we focus so much on the preached Word. Because this is one of the primary ways that God says, I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you more like me through the preaching of my word. Secondly, in worship, the sacraments and specifically the Lord's Supper. Christ meets us in the word in a special way, but he meets us in a, in a unique way also at the Lord's table. Listen to this quote. This is from a guy named Linder, Leonard Vanderzee. He's a pastor in, uh, in Indiana. He describes here the way that Christ nourishes us in the sacrament. He says, as the word brings us Christ for our faith to grasp through hearing, so the sacraments bring us Christ for our faith to grasp through seeing and tasting and touching. Both word and sacrament bring Christ to our souls by faith through the Holy Spirit. But in the sacraments, we get Christ in a way that is particularly suited to our humanity. We get Christ through water, through bread, and through wine. It's a great quote of what's actually happening. That we receive Christ in the sacrament in a unique way. And of course, there are all kinds of things that we could say there. But I just want this to be a practical example of how Christ actually nourishes us in the midst of his body. Uh, very important here. That's the importance of worship. Specifically, corporate worship. Christ nourishes us and changes us through this time we spend together each Sunday. Now, one practical implication of this is that by missing worship, you're actually missing out on one of the primary ways that Christ says, I'm going to bless you 
I'm going to give you growth in this way. I'm going to give you myself. So we're actually missing out on knowing Christ more. That's something pretty serious. You're missing out on the blessing of being with God's people. Now, I know you're probably thinking at this point, Darwin put Brian up to this. He's going to have him come in, have the rookie come in and say the tough thing when he's out of town. He didn't, uh, just so you know. But here's something that's very practical about our time in worship. The preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments are something you can't do alone. You can't do that in your quiet time. You can study the word for sure, but you can't have it preached. You can't hear the word as we're called to hear it in the in the scriptures. These aren't things that you can do alone. They aren't things you can do as individuals. They are things to be done as a body, as a group, as a family of God even. So this isn't something you can do alone. Worship is something that we do as a community. It's that important. We can really say that corporate worship coming together as a body is a must for our growth. We have to have it. It's how God changes us. It's one of the primary ways in which he does that. Well, if this is the way that Paul describes this glorious relationship of Christ to his church, then we really are in a position to say that we need the church. We are in need of the church. If this is the place where Christ promises to give himself so freely to his people in these ways, if this is the sphere in which real change is going to take place by the Holy Spirit, then why would you not want to be a part of it? We need Christ. We need to be in a community with believers. I need you to encourage me when I'm struggling. I need you to point out sins in my life that I'm blinded to. I can't do that alone. You need me in the same way. We need to hear the word preached together. We need to be fed together at the Lord's table. We need to worship together. We need Christ to communicate that risen life to us through his body. We need the church. That's the positive way of saying it. Why would you not want to be a part of Christ's work in that way? There's also, though, a negative way of putting it. And this is the tough part. If Christ nourishes his people through his body, and you aren't a part of Christ's body, then you're going to be malnourished. That's what we can glean from this. Travis just got back from Kenya last week. He was working with street children there. And of course, one of the huge issues, obviously, with street children is not only that they don't have homes, but it's that they don't have food either. They're starving. The malnourishment that they're experiencing is visible. You can see how serious it is for them. When we're not a part of Christ's body, which is the main place for nourishment, then we are going to be malnourished. The difficulty, though, is that we don't see our malnourishment as vividly. It's not as evident as, as what Travis saw with the children in Kenya. But honestly, though, it's no less serious. It's no less serious. We were never meant to go at the Christian life alone. Todd Bolzinger has written this book, uh, and here's the, here's the title. It takes a church to raise a Christian. How the community of God transforms lives. I love that title. 
Because that's what we're getting at here. God intends for us to be in fellowship with Him through the fellowship of His body. That's the way He intends to change us. He wants us to grow in that way. This is where He's going to show forth His redemption. He's going to show forth His purposes to the world. He's going to show forth His restoration and the reconciliation that He is going to eventually work in all of the world. That's what happens here. That's what the church is. And again, I would ask the question, why would you not want to be a part of Christ's work in that way? Why would we want to deny ourselves those means of grace, the way in which He gives Himself to us? Well, this Christ offers Himself freely to sinners. We come to Him as sinners. We come to Him as those in need, completely dependent on our head for any type of growth at all. And this same Jesus, this same head of the church, asks only that we trust, that we rest in his salvation, and that we believe in him. I pray for us that we would even do that today. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the glory of your church. We thank you, Lord, for the purposes that you're showing forth, that you call your church a new creation. We thank you, Lord, that you give yourself so freely to us through the ministry of the church. We pray, Lord, that we would cherish the body all the more, that we would love one another, that we would enjoy being together. We pray, Lord, that you would even change us from the preached word this morning. We pray that you would continue to feed us and nourish us. Bless, O Lord, this body. We thank you again that you do promise to do that. We confess our need of you and pray all these things through Christ, who is the head of the body of the church. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America.